If you want to jump into the movement with the podcast, this is a good time to do it. And I hope you consider Anchor. Anchor is the easiest way to make a podcast. It's free. It has creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast directly from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so folks can find it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many, many more. You can make money on your podcast with no minimum listenership, with sponsored messages like this, and with monthly supporters. And I want to shout out to Greg Gordon, our first monthly supporter on Anchor. Anchor has everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. The Wildlife Observer Network. Hey everybody, welcome back to Brothers and Birding. I'm your co-host, Haiki. I'm with my homie, Tony, and we're very happy to be joined by Jason Ward. Hello, hello. Thanks for having me. You. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, We just passed World Migration Day this weekend, so I have to ask, any good things in the sights? Um, Yeah, you know, I'm I'm down here in the southeast, so we're kind of like on a tail end of migration. But, you know, we're still having some really cool things move through the area. I just saw you know, chestnut-sided warbler today. For some reason, you know, we've had, we had a really huge day full of sandpipers and plovers today here in, in, in Atlanta. Um, I was birding today and saw about, you know, least sandpipers, semi-palmated plovers and semi-palmated sandpipers. And like, as far as like total individuals went, I'm, we're talking like maybe 300 birds total. And this is just like, like this is Metro Atlanta that we're talking about. So it's been really weird. Oh, wow, that, that just sounds strange, Tony. Yeah, I'd like to hear more about birding in Atlanta in a minute. Um, myself, I don't know if you saw on on our social media or Facebook, but I, I actually uh, injured myself birding today. Oh, I have to hear more about this. <laughs> so I, uh, I opened my – my wife and I um, decided to take a little walk and, and do a little birding in the neighborhood. Um, and I opened the front door – to a bait-breasted warbler singing in the my street tree. Nice. And I was like, I got so excited, I just immediately lifted up my bins and, and was trying to like get on it. Um, and you know, I got big ass feet, and I just like fell down our concrete steps and just annihilated my knee and my, and messed up my palm a little bit. Like, and I was just bleeding like, like all over the place. <laughs> well, you know what? I, I'll I'll tell my own tale in solidarity. First of all, I'm glad you're good. Um, you know, uh, birding takes a toll on us sometimes. I was leading a bird walk uh, in December here in Atlanta, and um, I'm sitting, I'm just standing there with my scope and just hanging out. And it's kind of early, so uh, you know, it's about 15 minutes before my walk starts, and we're expecting you know 25 people to show up. But at the time, there was only about six, or seven folks there. So we're waiting for more people to come and join us. And my car is about 20 feet from me, so I'm thinking, oh. Let me go to my car and grab something out of my car real quick so that I'm fully prepared and ready to roll. I take two steps and the speed lacing hooks on my hiking boots uh, like get entangled with the laces. And this has happened to me before, maybe a couple of times. But Mm -hmm. this time it was more than a stumble. Uh, I stumbled, stumbled, stumbled and face planted uh, right in the parking lot right in front of all of the attendees of my bird walk. Um, and my hand was bleeding and I had like a messed up, like a sprained wrist for maybe a week or so. 
um, and a bruised ego. But uh, mm. other than that, we saw about 50 species later on that day. So it worked So out. the ego was fine. The ego yeah. was the first thing repaired. My optics were fine. How about yours? Yes, yes. And I had my binoculars in my camera around my neck when it happened. And they both oh. hit the ground with me. Oh. But they're Ooh. durable. They, they survived. Everything was good. Do you want to sponsor that? Uh, <laughs> what durable, <laughs> what durable <laughs> brand could that have been? <laughs> Oh, oh I mean, that, no, none other than uh, Swarovski Optics. Uh, <laughs> you always got to make sure, man. I'm looking out for you. I'm looking out. I'm looking out. Um, no, so are you sponsored me. by Swarovski or is it just your brand choice? Um, We're in talks. We're, we're in talks. That's cute. Uh, we, we're, they, talking. I have, we're talking. Yeah, we're talking. We're talking. <laughs> we're going to get some cool stuff going on in, in the next couple of uh, months. Nice. I was uh, using today. I was using Steiner's. Uh, I was, well, I mean, they sponsored my World Series of Birding team in the last two years. Not this year. Um, we didn't compete this year. Um, so uh, I like them. They they make binoculars for the military mostly. So uh, they oh, cool. know how to make make something very durable. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. So um, I want to I want to figure out. Um, well, I mean, let me add this. My personal uh, migration bird migration day story um i for the first time used uh digiscoping where i like used my phone and the binoculars to try to get a good picture and i actually got a few pretty good pictures uh, i post them on twitter at taiki underscore james if folks want to take check that out um and i'll also post it on the wildlife observer network but uh you know for me i'm someone who's birding in my own little backyard in dc and, uh, you know, I broke my ankle in January, so my mobility is pretty limited as is. And, you know, I'm still trying to find a way to enjoy it myself. I'm not seeing the, the chestnut-sided warbler yet. Um, well, you know, maybe if I keep looking, I might run into it. But it's really good getting to know the, the you know, the, the common birds and uh, seeing how their behaviors change through the year. Absolutely. I mean, you know, as you said, you know, just keep looking. You know, my, my brother, Jeffrey, is uh, currently in New York, and he's he's taking tally of every bird he's seen just strictly from his window so far this year. I think he's close to or over 30 species. I think the most recent one that he saw was a yellow-throated vireo. So, and that's in the Bronx, New York, right? So yeah, yeah, if he's, he's able to see that there, you can see it anyway. You just got to keep on looking. Exactly. You know, I might have told a story on the, on the cast before, but I have a, a yellow-throated vireo urban story, too. I, I, I let a bird walk out in the Wissahickon, which is – I actually live next to this park now, this giant park in Philadelphia. is like 1,900 acres. And I was talking about how I have difficulty – well, not walk. I said I have difficulty uh, picking out yellow-throated vireo songs. I hear it, and I don't quite – you know, I need to track it down and look at it because I, I want to make sure I, I could rule out, you know, a few other species, you know, the other mm-hmm. – um, you know, like a really like a maybe a fuzzy uh, red-eyed vireo or like a a more emphatic um, blue-headed vireo, right? Like I have trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, I know it's a vireo. I know it's likely not a, a red-eyed vireo, but I'm, you know, I, I don't I don't necessarily feel confident pull um, without seeing it. Tell say it's not a, a blue-headed vireo. And I, I was t- talking about that story, and uh, you know, like I was telling a story, I was telling you know my feelings about it, and, and of course a bunch of us were out. I think Jordan Jarvis was there, maybe Todd Felbaum, and we were. You know, we're all second guessing ourselves on like viras we're hearing. Um, and then I get home, I get, I get home, and I and at the time I was living, you know, in West Philly, 
and there's like a little abandoned lot behind my house, um, which is the weird story is there was um, a gas explosion like 20 years ago and six houses were destroyed. So they, they just made a, they never built the houses up and there's this lot kind of no man's land. It was just some honey locust. So I get dropped off and I hear a, um, a red start back there. I was like, Oh, let's go check it out. And this is like, you know, in the middle of the afternoon, like no bird o'clock. And I go back there and then I hear like a, and I'm like, Oh, that sounds good for yellow throat Vero. Bam. Yellow throat Vero in my backyard in Philly. Nice. Y'all love it when it happens like that. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, on that point, uh, you know, I started my birding, uh, when I was a teenager and I started that with Tony and I did all of it or a huge majority of it in Philadelphia. And so for me, birding in cities is just like always what I am familiar with. Like that's my normal way to think about birding. And Jayden, you kind of had a start to birding in a city as well. Isn't that city, was that city called? Isn't that a small town somewhere? Well, well, actually, 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 I started birding in Atlanta. Oh, oh. so yeah, yeah. So I'm, I've only been birding for seven years. Mm-hmm. So I'm 33 now. I started around my math is bad, 26 to 27, right? So, um, of course, born, born and raised in the Bronx, New York, mm-hmm. um, and I, I and I was exactly BX. Um, but I, <laughs> I, and I, and I've always loved wildlife. Always loved animals, but um, didn't know what a birder was until my mid 20s. So that, that's the interesting thing. I didn't know that, one, there is a group of people out there who um, go out and observe birds in their natural habitat. And secondly, and probably most importantly, I didn't know that that activity was available or, you know, just, just there for someone who looked like I did, who grew up in a way that I did. So uh, you were especially surprised then to see folks birding in Brooklyn, uh, even though you started in Atlanta. Um, there's a lot of natural land that I'm sure you have access to uh, with the cityscape of Atlanta. But, yes. You know, considering Brooklyn, it's like, I mean, I only recently started to understand how birdie Central Park was from looking at your Twitter and Jeffrey's Twitter. And uh, yeah, it's just like I, that blew me away. I mean, and I'm in Philly and I think Philly is like a beautiful. Bird habitat. Oh, Yep. Um, I'm clearly outside in my neighborhood. So sorry about that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to lie. I thought he said, that's a red eye Vario. And I'm like, well, that's all right. I mean, hey, (laughs) there is a summer tanager calling out here, but uh, no red eyed Vario's yet. Nice. Now, Summer Tanager, Red-Eyed Vireo, those are perfect names, I think, for birds because they describe what they look like, right? Like it describes what it is and what it looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, so a while ago, and Tony knows this, a while ago I posted in the uh, Delaware Valley Ornithological Club Facebook group um, an article uh, posted June 23rd, 2019 uh, from 10,000birds.com uh, where they present an argument about renaming all birds named after white people. And this was a topic that was like new to me. And so, and and, and I'm still very receptive to understand what that means and where these names come from. But I want to first just get uh, some takes from you two, Tony, Jason. Yo, you know, as far as, as far as I'm concerned, I am completely in support of that. Wow. Two tough tit mouses, tit mice. I don't know what you want to call them, but they just fought 
about 10 feet from my head and then went back up to the pine tree. Anyway, sorry, back on topic. Um, I am totally in favor of, you know, just flipping the script and renaming a lot of birds that are named after their old dead ornithologists, um, most of which probably were problematic in their own ways. So uh, I'm with just flipping the table over and uh, shaking, shaking everything up. Um, but, I'm, but then again, just like Heath Ledger famously said in The Dark Knight, I'm an agent of chaos. So uh, I am no, completely, <laughs> I'm completely for uh, renaming a lot of those birds out there. Um, I, uh, the ABA's own Nate Swick uh, once had this really long thread about all of the birds named after uh, ornithologists and he kind of renamed them in his own little way. And one that really like stuck out to me was um, he renamed Kirtland's warbler. Um, he renamed it Jack, the Jack Pine warbler, which is appropriate. This is a bird that needs Jack Pine trees in order to, yeah, in order to survive. Right. And this is a bird that's completely dependent on Jack Pine trees in the Midwest. So why not just name it after the tree that it has a symbiotic relationship with instead of some old guy? I don't even know who Kirtland is. Um, in fact, people mostly call it Kirkland, right? People just people don't even know whether it's a T or a K at the at in the middle of that word. You said the so Kirk yeah, just, Franklin warbler. T exactly. There you go. No, um, <laughs> Kirk uh, Kirk Cousins. Cousins, uh, no. <laughs> of course, of course, of course. <laughs> uh, I would prefer a fall bird is renamed descriptive. Uh, names rather than yeah. names after people. I think that makes a lot more sense. So I think, I think, I think I will, I, I'm, um, I'm all for renaming all birds named after um, individuals, you know, but I think you get, you get kind of, it's kind of, how do you parse out like um, who, uh, um, you know, who, what person had, you know, I know they talk about like it was it McCown's Longspur because um, it was it a, a former Civil War um, officer, uh, yeah. a Confederate officer. It was named after and things like that. So I I, I think again, it just makes sense to make a uniform policy of just you know naming things. I, I I'm a little I do like the idea of um, I mean there's a lot of great ornithological history and um, and you know the when you hear birds' names and you can like figure out like, Oh, when, you know, what, what did they, uh, you know, it's nice to know those people's stories, but you can learn those stories other ways. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, I just don't, you know, I don't like, first of all, I don't like, I don't like the fact that, uh, in Lincoln, you know, there's a field named after, you know, our football stadiums are, are named after institutions. Right. Like I, I don't like that. So I was, mm. why, why would I like, you know, birds named after, you know patrons right you know mm -hmm. someone's rich patron or you know and and likely those people had you know, problems so i think it should just be uniform we name all descriptive but i think jack pine warbler is is beautiful um you know pathonotary warbler is named after a uh, a catholic church official like not an individual yeah. but like a a position you know like correct the yeah. name was golden swamp warbler I'm like how how i mean it's kind of i mean I grew up with Pathante Warbler. It's a neat word, but like, and you know, when I was a bike messenger and I would deliver it to city hall and I would see the Pathonotary's office, I was like, Oh, Pathonotary Warbler, you know, but <laughs> I think golden, I mean, how cool. I mean, golden swamp warbler is a, love is, it. should be the name, you know? Yeah. I agree. Yeah. I agree with that. I love that. And um, you know, I'm someone who is 
personally attached to the Philadelphia Vireo. And, you know, I understand that bird was initially described with an Eagles jersey and a cheesesteak on the Liberty <laughs> Bell. And, you know, that's how they came up with the name. But I, I would understand if there's a more descriptive name to call it. I may personally call it the Philadelphia, you know, Vireo moving on, but I would understand that the common name uh, is changed. Um, and, and to the point, too, about like, I asked the question to uh, um, some folks in any other animal kingdom, are there people naming things after themselves like for herpetology? Oh yeah. All uh, over the place. Yeah. Oh wow. It's pretty much uniform. Um, it, you know, it's, Oh, it's all over every, everything is named (laughs) after people, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's a Kirtland snake. Oh wow. I did not know. Yeah. It's a small, it's a small snake and it lives in the upper Midwest, just like the uh, Kirtland's warbler. Wow. See, yeah, just rename it. First of all, um, so I know that we have some folks here from the mid-Atlantic area, uh, the two of you, but I don't think any bird should be subjected to be named after the city of Philadelphia. Sorry. I just don't think, oh. um, I just don't think we should do it. looks that. like that's um, all the time we have. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we should do that to that poor, poor bird with that. That's much cooler than what you've named it after. But, um, you know, but, but I'm not going to just, you know, rail on Philadelphia here. The Cape May warbler, the Connecticut warbler. What are we doing? What are right, we and, doing? And, and let's, let's further dissect that. Um, Philadelphia Vireo, I would think maybe Boreal Vireo, uh, would be more appropriate because it's, it's does or North woods Vireo or something. Cause it's although Canada would be like, Hey, it's not North in Canada. Um, but you know, um, it's not in Philadelphia. In fact, it's a, it's a rare rarity in Philadelphia. I mean, I, they collected one here in the Nina, but it's, it migrates to the Midwest much, much more than it does the East coast. So hmm. it's not even appropriate. Cape May. Um, yeah, they pass through Cape May, but again, that's another, you know, um, the French call it, uh, the tiger warbler. Ooh, not a Royale with cheese. <laughs> so, um, you know, so on that topic of, uh, especially Philadelphia, uh, you know, I, we all know the Philadelphia Eagles national football team. Um, I was thinking about how Nick Lund did a magazine with Deadspin a couple of years or not even a couple of years, a year ago where he fixed the bird logos for pro sports teams <laughs> so that they were anatomically correct. And yeah. um, I think the Philadelphia Eagle would benefit from anatomical correctness. Um, it, you know, I'll, I'll definitely link the article because um, like the yellow beak on the, on the Eagle and the yellow eye on the Eagle, I think just complements the bird instead of having like a gray beak. In like a green yeah. eye, you know, I just don't, I just don't see how that works. And in Cardinals with uh, yellow bills instead of the normal red bill, what's up exactly. with that? Yeah, yeah, that's and, that's. And, and Jason, if you could speak for all of Atlanta, what is up with the Atlanta Falcon? What is what is that supposed to look like? What is I have no, I have no idea what that is. Um, and it's probably, um, you know, it's probably a sign of uh, the fact that they just can't seem to win much. Uh, I think they just. <laughs> Uh, I think that that is perfect for them. You know, they wow. fail at picking a logo and they fail at um, winning games. Wow. Uh, that's just Hot perfect. Hey, yeah. Atlanta had one of the best uh, bird mascots. Um, and I almost bought one of their hats when they were still around the, th- the thrashers. Usually. Yes. The hockey team. Yes. Yes. That made so much sense. I mean, um, it's also the state bird, the, the brown yeah. thrasher. So that's not bad. You know what though? 
Um, you know, in, in the NBA, uh, New Orleans did the same thing, you know, with, by naming their team the Pelicans. Yeah. Um, and, and, but the crazy thing is, I remember when that happened and uh, on Twitter, a lot of the sports media were just railing on them for that. <laughs> oh, they just, they just couldn't understand why you would name it the Pelicans. Couldn't and then so I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm like, first of all, it's the state bird. And secondly, have you seen brown Pelicans in action? Like, just Pelicans in general. I've, I've watched the video of Pelicans just gulping down a pigeon. Pelicans are no joke. Don't sleep no. on Pelicans, y'all. Yeah? Never. Never. Are you kidding me? But, it, but it's hard for me, right? Because I, you know, live in Atlanta. I'm a native New Yorker. I root for New York teams still. I would never, ever root for an Atlanta team. But they, oh. they named their teams after Birds of Prey. And I love Birds of Prey. So there's that, uh, you know, mental gymnastics that I have to go through to love the fact that the Atlanta Hawks and the Atlanta Falcons exist, but absolutely want those teams to fail at every turn. So, yeah. Wow, that was very uh, retrospective. (laughs) 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 And and very much appreciated. Um, I definitely feel for um, the, the home team feeling while also... Uh, wanting to be supportive of where you're at. Uh, as someone who's a Philadelphia Eagles fan, when they first won the Super Bowl, I was very elated, to say the least. Um, and when I, I've been living in D.C. two years now, and so when the Washington Nationals won the World Series, Ugh. it, it kind of turned me into a fan a little bit. Like, I didn't I'm think... I'm sorry. I'm also, like, a Philly fan, too. Like, Oh, my but, God. Like, we just I can't... feel for that. I feel I just don't that. know if we can be cool, Taiki. I just don't... I just don't understand. You said the Phillies and the Nationals. I'm a Mets fan. This can't well, work, man. The thing is, is, is I think it can work because in my, in my view, you should root what makes... I mean, you should do whatever to help people want, but I think what makes sense is people should root for their home team Right, where the where you where you were born and raised, you should root for that team, and you should root for the team where you live. I think it, so. I, you know, I, I I don't see a conflict with that. I mean, when they play, if they play each other, that I I could see being conflicted. But you know, luckily but the I, thing I is, so I I grew up hating the Atlanta Braves for so many reasons. Right, and in, in the nineties and early two thousands, there were just so many reasons to hate the. And I know this is not a sports podcast, but like, but still like. Don't worry, I have a segue to get us back to birding. Don't worry. <laughs> I just can't. I can't. I can't ever. That 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 chop that they do, you know, it, it, I just, it, it sickens me to my stomach. Everything about the Braves just sickens me. So, all right, all right. Segway yeah, Well, if they got a, you know, I, I, I definitely understand with, with that whole, you know, um, chop, it, you know, um, insensitive call thing they do, you know. Yeah. Uh, speaking about insensitive, possibly politically incorrect things, um, I'm sure that you've been out a little bit birding, Jason, and you're someone who has a blue check mark on his name on Twitter. Um, when you're out birding, do people respect physical distancing guidelines with you, or do they, you know, are they just really excited? Like, what would, how would you describe being in the field today, uh, considering COVID? Um. Uh, yes. So f- people are birders and just wildlife enthusiasts in general. Um, they are definitely curious. And they, of course, we all want to know what has been seen. What have you been seeing? What have you been seeing? But, um, you know, there's that, hey, I want to know what you've been seeing. And it's also nice to meet you, but I also don't want to die. So um, let's, we can talk from about 10 feet away. 
you know, we can, we can have this conversation and still, mm-hmm. you know, be about six to 10 feet from from one another and, and, and share things. Right. Um, so, and, and yeah, sure. You know, I have a blue check mark and everything, but no one knows me, man. <laughs> People don't know me. It's a very rare occurrence where someone will walk up to me and ask me, Hey, are you Jason Ward or something like that? So, uh, it happens once in a blue moon, but, uh, even when it does happen date, yeah, currently we respect, uh, we give each other at least six feet. All right. That's good. And for the record, blue moons happen at least five times a year. <laughs> just, just saying, it's just whenever you have a month that has two full moons, a month that has five weeks, you'll get a blue moon for the record. Look at that Ast- astronomy facts. You know, just, I try to, I try, you know, this is what Tony and I do. We just put everything of ourselves into the show. <laughs> the most well-rounded podcast ever. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we hope that we can have you on more to talk about more than just bird names and why you hate the Atlanta Braves for some reason. (laughs) And hopefully we can make you a a Philadelphia birder one day. I mean, have you ever birded in Philly? No, I've never. I never have. The only time I've been in Philadelphia was going through it on my way to Cape May. Um, I landed at at the Philadelphia airport. Yeah, yeah. Landed at the airport and then drove down there but um so i would now but i would love to join uh you all in philly one day uh you know so many of my friends are from there you know even like when you think about corina newsom her growing mm-hmm. up in philly and mm-hmm. her being like a really close friend of mine so yeah i would love it plus will smith is from there and i love will smith so see that's an olive branch right there for you that, that's an olive branch wow do you know will's first full name um is it willard it is willard okay i'll give you that Yes. Tony, if Jason, let's say that we're living in a world where COVID is no longer an issue. Jason is coming to Philly to bird. Where's the first place we go? And this is middle migration. So it's perfect time. Where's the first place Jason wants to go in Philly? Well, it's an easy, uh, it's a, it depends on how he arrives. Um, if you arrive via plane or um, boat or bo- or no, or bolt bus, right? <laughs> oh, um, bolt bus. I yeah. If you're coming like from boat, New York, like if you're coming from Atlanta, you're probably flying. If you're coming from New York, you might be on a bolt bus or, you know, a mega bus or whatever. Um, but if you're flying, um, the, the, on eBird, the place that has the most species of bird in Philly, and I'm sure it's in every other record is John Hines national wildlife refuge. And it's literally adjacent to the airport. And it's just as good for uh, warblers as it is for, you know, shorebirds and, and waterfowl. I mean, it's an, it's an incredible space. I mean, I think over 300 species of bird have been seen there. I mean, it's a remarkable place. So, and that's, that's where you would start. I mean, some people say, you know, that's all you really have to go to. But, uh, you know, that's a great spot. Uh, FDR Park by the airport. I mean, not by, I mean, not too far from the airport either. It's, you know, only like a 10-minute drive is FDR Park. It's really good. Um, and you know, then we have... We have one of the largest municipal park systems in the world. So if you want to get into the forest birds and look at pileate woodpeckers and wood ducks and, you know, um, breeding you know, Louisiana water thrush, we got uh, Wissahickon and Pennypack. So we, we got a lot. I'm really curious about birding in Atlanta. Um, if, if, Cause you talked about the shorebird spot. So kind of um, Atlanta's kind of up in the Piedmont, right? Yeah. Yeah. We're in the Piedmont region. Um, you know, it's, it's a really interesting, uh, birding area i think um we get a nice mixture of a lot of different things you know um we we get hit with warblers really hard for about four weeks 
during spring migration. And of course, you know, that, that stretches out during fall migration. It's pretty long. Um, you know, we, there's a little bit of everything. The fact that the metro Atlanta area is so big, we are able to utilize so many different habitats for being such a landlocked um, city. You know, we don't have the benefit of a coast or anything like that nearby for like four, four hour drive or so. So we get pretty much anything you would expect. Um, you know, birds of prey, we get shorebirds, we get all of these different warblers and tanagers. So we, we're, we're a pretty well-rounded uh, state as far as bird populations go. I can lead a bird walk in um, the middle of the city, Piedmont Park, which is my baby, my favorite park. And uh, I lead a bird walk in January in 30 degree weather and leave that day with 55 species seen. So it, it's pretty, it's pretty, it, it, it actually, it spoiled me over the years because I've had the luxury to be able to travel to places like Alaska and Newfoundland over, uh, in, during 2019. And I remember birding in Anchorage and walking around for four hours birding and finishing my day with about 20 species. So just the abundance of different species that we have here in, in the Southeast is something that I take for granted, but, or something that I once took for granted, but not any longer. Yeah. The Southeast is the um, biodiversity hotspot of the United States. And mm. what cracks me up is people, and we get a bit of that spillover up in the, up in the mid-Atlantic, right? You know, we're not too far away. And so it's pretty biodiverse up here. And you meet people and they're always like, oh, you like nature? Oh, you must want to move to Colorado. You must move out West. And you're like, <laughs> I'd miss the, all the wildlife. And they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, it's so flat here. I'm like, your topography does not equal uh, biodiversity. Although, yes, you, you do get like in the tropics, that's, that's kind of true. But, uh, um, you know, once you get to a point where, the mountains are so tall that you, you, you know, you lose vegetation at a certain point. <laughs> There's not that much that could live there. So like, you know, out in the, the Southeast is, you know, not just for birds, but it's uh, you the highest diversity of salamanders is in the Southern Appalachians. You get the highest diversity yep. of snakes, the highest diversity of turtles. I mean, it's and the highest diversity of, um, uh, every, uh, you know, evergreen, not evergreen, I'm sorry, deciduous trees. It's, inc it's, it's incredible. It's, right. it's overlooked. I've, you know, I've been to almost every city in this country because I was in a touring band and traveled a whole lot. And I've only ever, and believe it or not, I've only ever been to Atlanta airport, which. Um, there you go. That returns the favor. There you go. There goes your Philly airport story. Well, I, I, I want to, <laughs> I've been like, it's funny. I talked to, I'm trying to like, I really want to go and just hang out in Atlanta because Atlanta and New Orleans are like the two cities that ever, Atlanta, New Orleans and Las Vegas are like these three unbelievably culturally important cities and they're like the three cities I haven't been to. Mm. So, yeah, I really want to check those out. Oh, man. So, uh, Jason, with your ability to identify birds, obviously stretching beyond Atlanta, you have this really cool thing that you do on Twitter called hashtag Tricky Bird ID. Uh, could you just tell us a little bit about how that started and what that is? Sure, yeah, definitely. So Tricky Bird ID is... Um, it's a game that I started and we played um, Mondays at 8 p.m. Um, sorry, guys, I'm on a podcast right now. I can't do it for you guys, but I'll, I'll follow it up next week to my Twitter crowd out there. But, oh, wow. Uh, wow. I just realized that. <laughs> it's all good. Don't worry about it. It's all good. We're in a, we listen, listen, we are in a stay at home order. This There's quarantine in place and right, I don't know what day is what anymore. Okay. So no worries. Right. But, um, the premise behind Tricky Bird ID is, is basically to mimic what we're seeing in the field. Uh, 
right? When we're out birding, birds aren't just sitting on a perfectly well-lit branch singing and showing us all of their angles so we can identify them, right? And giving us a thumbs up or I guess a wing up or a wing down if we get it right or wrong. They're 75 feet high in the tree. They're flying really fast. And if you take a picture of it, you know, it's probably blurry or, or it's long distance. But if you know what to look for, you can positively identify that, that bird. So I take photos that are blurry. I take photos that are long distance, uncropped, photos that uh, are of birds that have, you know, doppelgangers out there. And it's hard to tell them apart. And I kind of break down why that bird is what it is. But before I do that, everyone has to guess. So I tweet a photo out there or an audio clip or video, and people have about 30 minutes to guess the ID of the bird. And then we reveal it uh, after the 30 minutes is over. And I keep tally of, um, I don't know why I volunteered to do this, but I keep tally of everyone's answers. And uh, I, I assign points to whoever answers the quickest. Uh, so, so there's I'm a keeping, leaderboard. There is a leaderboard that I keep, keep track of throughout the year. Um, and, uh, the winners, I don't know what they win, but I'll think of something to send them. Um, but, uh, yeah. And I actually started that game due to other science communicators on Twitter, like the herpetologist, uh, Dr. David Steen. He has this hashtag that he uses often hashtag, not a copperhead. And he uses that whenever (laughs) someone posts exactly right. Someone, every time anyone sees a snake that's brown and has patterns on it, they think it's a copperhead, right? So people will post these photos and they're like, oh, I saw this copperhead today. And he'll say, actually, it's a northern water snake or it's a midland water snake. And he'll use the hashtag, not a copperhead. And so if you search that hashtag, you'll see tons of snake ID that aren't copperheads. And it's a really good teaching tool to use. So I started to kind of play around with different hashtags before one actually stuck. Uh, one that I used was not an eagle because everyone's, <laughs> everyone thinks that they're seeing eagles when they're actually seeing turkey vultures or red-tailed hawks. So um, mm-hmm, I started mm-hmm. with that one and then kind of just extrapolated from there and I landed on Tricky Bird ID as, as the blueprint to move forward. Nice. Uh, so, oh, go oh, ahead, Tony. Oh, I was just say, Techie, do you mind if I ask uh, Jason a question? Please throw it I don't want to derail your uh, flow here. I'm just curious about your uh, um, your show and, and its future and what you're up to. Uh, that's yeah, exactly that's what I was about to do, Tony. Look at you. You knew. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, the great thing is uh, about this, is, as far as segues are concerned, is that this, the Tricky Bird ID leads right to the show. So because of the Tricky Bird ID's uh, popularity on Twitter, um, people were often telling me how much fun they were having and, and they were glad that I started the game. So I felt the pressure to be consistent for two reasons, because people were enjoying it. People were having fun. And also, you just never know who's paying attention, who's out there watching. So I stayed consistent, did the game for three years and still running. And one day someone slid in the DMs and that person was the editorial director at this visual storytelling site called Topic. And she wanted to know if I wanted to work together someday in some kind of capacity. So we exchanged information, jumped on a conference call, and we brainstormed a little bit. And we came up with this concept that we would just shoot a couple of videos that showed birding in a fresh new light. That was it, right? Just a couple of videos. After that, they hired a director and a producer and a five-person film crew. And two months later, when Central Park filming the pilot for what is now 20 episodes of Birds of North America. So it happened really fast, (laughs) thanks to Twitter. Nice. And so currently, we are two seasons down in the can, uh, 20 episodes down, 
and we are currently starting to negotiate for season three. Um, obviously, we are handicapped at this moment. We're a little handcuffed with what we can or can't do, but we're hoping to get things running uh, either late this year or early next year as far as season three is concerned. But there most likely will be a season three. And in fact, I got an email today that was kind of interesting. We may have some quarantine special stuff that we shoot uh, for everyone during these uncertain times. Is that an exclusive? Is, that is. Did we just a, get an the first time I've Jason ever said that anywhere. Wow, and you heard nothing, it here first. Yes. I always wanted to yes. say that seriously. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Very nice. Well, I hope, I hope that works out for you. Appreciate it. I'd like to see more of you. Yeah, absolutely. Me too. I'm, I'm, I remember when Birds of North America was like, I think it was, for me, it was popular in two waves. Um, it was first popular through my, my, my roots, my, my, my channels of, of POCs in the environment, my fellow uh, feathers of color, if you will. And uh, I knew about that. I knew about Jason and then the show that was happening and Jeffrey and all these other sidecommers on Twitter. And then I got the second wave from my colleagues at work. They're like, oh, my God, do you know this black guy? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, yeah, I actually technically kind of do because Twitter, but like, you know, ah, you know, and now it's like, wow, Jason is a really cool person that like is, you know, very approachable and um, very friendly. And, you know, again, this is something that I hope we can do uh, more often talking about, you know, more topics in the in the bird world or your world, or obviously if you want to ever give us another exclusive like that. Anytime, man, I'd be more than happy to come on and just, just talk about whatever you guys want to talk about. This is a lot of fun. Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, I definitely want to talk more about like a city, like, a, like the virtual city bird tour of either Philadelphia or Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And um, it would be interesting. Cause I mean, Tony, how long have you been birding in Philly? easily um 35 years something like that wow and i don't think that there's a corner of philly you haven't touched bird wise i mean you've been out to the uh docks in your walmart looking for gulls uh you know and you've been in every every park right well there's a new spot there's an abandoned golf course way up in northeast philly um remember my limitation is i don't drive so um you know and so i'm at the mercy of uber or who can get me there or whatever and and uh so you know some things have slipped through but uh yeah almost everything you know um yeah i've been you know i've only lived in philadelphia my whole life i've and i've been born because i was nine so (laughs) i get around Uh, first of all i love that you know i'm always envious since i started so late i'm always envious of, of people who have started at such a younger age uh, I wish I had that that head start sometimes, but um, abandoned golf course that actually sounds like a ton of fun. Actually, but golf courses are notorious for just really good birds. Really, yeah. why, why is that? I mean, uh, my first inclination of golf courses is the manicured lawns and that mm. being attractive to birds. So, why would that be? Why do you think that would be a hot spot? Often, I mean, there's water uh, in, in a landscape that might not have water, right? So like that, that alone attracts birds, like, especially in like out West. Um, I had a girlfriend out in Arizona and the first Eurasian widgeon I ever saw, um, which is funny because I see them and I've seen them in Philly now, but was at, at a golf course in like Scottsdale. Hmm. 
Oh, wow. Yeah, I, I've gotten tons of lifers at golf courses. Um, I think it's, you know, a combination of the water being there and also the uh, that that difference in habitat between the wide open spaces and the trees that kind of, uh, you know, are, are, are the circumference of the uh, of the golf courses, typically speaking. Um, I've gotten, you know, my light back in my old days of birding six years ago, <laughs> I got my like lifer Vesper Sparrow at a golf course and, you know, just certain birds like that. I just love hanging out there in, in those short grasses. Do you have, um, I mean, this may be hard to do probably off the top of the head, but what is your best lifer in a city? Because I think city birding is like a treasure that has helped our uh, birding careers, Mm -hmm. you know, tremendously Mm -hmm. early on. Yeah. So, okay. So any city counts, right? Any, any relatively large city in any state, right? Is this what we're talking? If you you have a stoplight, if you have a post office, if you have a zip code. So I do, I I do mean cities. So I do need it to have some type of urbanization. Sure. I I love David, what David Lindo does. David Lindo is really cool in, in his uh, book. I have a few of his books. I like watching his videos or whatever, but he stretches the definition of a city. He's like, oh. if there's, he's like, he calls himself the urban burner. He's like, if there's a house, if I'm with, he's like, if I'm in, with in sight of a house, it's, it's a uh, urban birding. And I'm like, is it though? <laughs> <laughs> is it? Well, well, how about this? I'll ask. What about Portland, Maine? Is that a, is that would that qualify here? I think well, I mean it's a city, um, and it was tricky, right? Is like, um, for instance, um, you probably saw this bird, the gray-headed gull that was in Coney Island. No, 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 I did not. Yeah, so there was a gray-headed gull, a South American gull, sort of in Coney Island, and okay, it's in New York City, but it's the coast. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like, like, like when you look at gannets diving off the coast of Brooklyn, like. I consider that urban birding because you're in a city, but it, that's where it gets fishy, right? Because it's like, like it's the ocean. <laughs> you know what I mean? Ah, like, I see what you did there with fishy, with gannets. Uh, nicely yeah. done. <laughs> but okay, so I'll, I'll say, or how about this? So, well, no, I want to hear the Portland story, though. Yeah. Oh, I got it. Yeah, Portland, Maine. It's in it's in the it's in the the last episodes of season one. That's the Great Black Hawk sighting. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and so it was that in was an urban right. park too, right? Yeah. Yes, exactly. That was in an urban park, uh, you know, blocks away from you know buildings and 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 townhouses and everything like that. So, and actually, when I saw it, because it was first seen in the park, but when I saw it, it was in the someone's like the backyard near someone's fire escape on, on a tree. So it was in a very urban environment, so much so that it's kind of awkward looking up with scopes and binoculars into the this bird that's perched right in front of someone's window, essentially. I, I mean, I think it's definitely counts as urban, and I think that's really uh, cool. I mean, yeah, we're a little biased, right? Because we're, we're representing New York City, Atlanta, Philadelphia, and DC. It's like four of the most important, like biggest metropolises in the country. Like, so <laughs> things feel really urban to us. But that's fair. I, yeah, that it is a good, very good thing to point out. Very, very biased. And like, I tease people right in Philly because I'm like, um. Like, I'm like, that's not, you know, like, like you're in the suburbs, like this, you know, but like our suburbs of the suburbs of Philadelphia look like Atlanta. You know what I mean? Like, mm. like most of the country city isn't like dense row houses and apartment blocks. It's, it's 
small single family houses, you know, um, that are, you know, within a certain density. So the, mm-hmm. the it definition gets kind of fi- uh, fishy, what's urban and what's suburban. But, you know, I, I'm i a little bit of a snob when it comes to like, you know, um, in the rest of the world, they don't define their city by the the city limits. They define it as like the metropolitan area. So mm. it's kind of. Well, I'm sure my brother has some some really good New York stories about some of the birds that he's seen right in the middle of like downtown Manhattan when it comes to what couches kingbird, painted bunting, uh, several just ridiculous birds that have shown up in New York City over the years. Okay, we'll take that as a plug. We'll we'll get him on the show. There we go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah I, I met your brother There's before. A long schedule. Oh, you have? Yeah, during the World Series of Birding. Uh, oh, nice. Yeah, we yeah, we, yeah. we um. We looked at a bar out together in uh, at the uh, that's that's his bird. That's his bird. Yeah, that is. Wow. That is awesome. That is really, really something. Um I, I almost that... lent him a bike. Oh, really? For he, he, for he, uh, the World Series? I he, I heard I got word he needed a bike. I have six. And I was like, yo, we'll, we'll throw an extra bike on the rack and bring it bring him a bike. Uh, but he nice. he's not needing one. So Okay, cool. Tony is always there. Man, always looking out, always looking out. I hope to do that one day, the World Series. Um, it just falls, uh, you know, usually it falls around the same time as the biggest week. Um, so there's some conflict there, but uh, I would love to get out there and do that one day. Yeah, I mean, it's phenomenal. I mean, you Have you been to Cape May um, in the fall? Yeah. The kicking off? Yeah. Yes, Cape May in the fall is magic. It is, it is ridiculous ridiculous how many birds are there and yeah i don't think there's a place in the world that can touch it in the fall yes i totally agree and i i sing its praises all the time and yeah you're gonna have to brave ridiculously cold weather but i promise i mean doing that morning flight bird count oh my goodness that that is just that's just nothing like it and the skills that the people who live in cape may develop for like i ding things on the wing um like fast is is just crazy I was I was up there uh, with Andrew Dreeland, who's a Georgia native, lives out here in Georgia. But yeah, he was he's been uh, working as a uh, as one of the counters out there for some years now, and just seeing him just call out black pole warbler, yellow rope warbler as they fly by, and I was like, is he making this up or is he just this good at it? It made no sense how he was able to ID those birds in flight as they're whipping around in high speed winds. It, it was it was out of this world. Yeah, it's it's there's nothing like it. And what I'd love to explore with this podcast and other, you know, as part of this network is I'd love to know about these other hotspots in the world that like mm. you know, I know that I know like Elat in Israel and was Fossilbar in Sweden. There was this one spot in China that was similar to Cape May, but I think it got really developed. Um mm. I know that um like the point the southern point of Taiwan is really good for migration. Um Istanbul, um the uh Birds migrate right through there because it's basically, you know, the bridge between Europe and Asia on the way to Africa. Mm-hmm. I'd love to, like, hear these other spots like that. Absolutely. Yeah, everyone, I am glad that uh, Tony said that because, you know, this is really what we want to do. We want to talk about birds. We want to talk about brotherhoods and uh, how we've uh, grown in our relationship, Tony. And uh, it's it's been fun so far uh, just having the podcast and learning – all these new things about birds and new perspectives and uh, also just enjoying people's stories, uh, especially like what you've shared, Jason. So um, I want to thank you and, um, you know, want to give you the mic 
anything you want to promote, anything you want to uh, double tap or hit on before we close out? Uh, let's see. First of all, I appreciate you both for having me on. I will say that everyone, since they're stuck at home and trying to figure out what they should watch next on Netflix, why don't you just kick up the YouTube or go to Topic and watch Birds of North America? Just binge watch it. You know, if you haven't seen it, it's funny episodes and each episode is about eight minutes long on average. So it's a nice, quick uh, little morsels of a show. And if you have seen it, I just rewatch it again. Uh, the more <laughs> views we get, the higher the probability that we will get funded for season three. So just go ahead and click that button. You can just keep it auto playing in the background. You don't even have to actually watch it. Just <laughs> do what you can uh, to make this work. But yeah. Uh, and, and we'll be out there on season three. Also, if you are on social media, follow me on Instagram or Twitter. That is Jason Ward NY. Lovely. All right, Tony, would you like to cap this? I would just, I, I need to have a confession. I've only seen like one episode of that. And uh, I, don't, I, 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 meant to, I meant to binge watch today to catch up. Because um, <laughs> it's one of those things, you know what's weird is like, I don't actually listen to that much wildlife podcasts. Mm-hmm. I, I listen to some. Uh, it's strange. Like I want to make wildlife media, mm-hmm. um, but I don't. And I like watching documentaries, but I don't really consume that much. Like I listen to other things. It's strange. It's like, um, so I need to, to, um, um, I definitely need to do that. I just, I just felt like it'd be dirty secret of mine not to, to, to not um, have, have uh, told you that Jason. <laughs> so I, I will follow your advice and, uh, and uh, watch that immediately. Here we go. Better late than never. It's all good. Well, if we're doing confessions, I want to say that I looked at the bright thing in the sky with my binoculars. Oh, no way. No, you didn't. Because I was looking at something that I, I felt was a fish crow. I wanted it to be a fish crow. And whether or not it was or it wasn't, I made a boo-boo. Oh, okay. Well, I thought you like intentionally, purposefully looked at the sun. If you were following a bird, I feel like you're not alone there. I feel like, in fact, I, yeah, I'm pretty sure I've done that. It was only getting brighter and it was a clear day out, you know, like, yeah, I'm sure I followed like a backlit warbler right into the sun once or twice. So, I mean, yeah, no, I don't, I don't, I don't blame you. Okay. Well, I I really appreciate that. Well, I'm I'm glad this is a space where where we can do that. Yeah, solidarity, man. Solidarity. Appreciate that. Well, uh, please, everybody, look at Birds of North America on YouTube. Season three is at stake. Um, In the meantime, thank you so much for listening and look out for our next episode coming out. Very likely, Jeffrey Ward, pending availability. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Cheers.